being a big fan of Cinema Demore. The podcasters asked me to make a special opening. <laughs> oh, Rosemary's Baby. What a great movie. I always like movies that have something to do with my son. Listen to this episode in advance. It's such a great episode. Everybody is in for a treat. <laughs> there is one mistake. Well, one issue. We lose Chuck halfway through the fucking episode. I'll point out when. Stay tuned to the end where I will talk more about my feelings on Rosemary's Baby. Welcome back, pod people, to a brand new episode of Cinema de More. I'm your host, Justin Morgan, and I'm here with... Chuck. Lexi. And we're moving into October, which means we're going to discuss some horror movies. Really? Why? We could be less cliche, I guess, one year and not do that. Rom-coms or something. We probably won't. Talk about romantic comedies. (laughs) Yeah, let's do some rom-coms next year. Halloween, and we are doing everything from the Hallmark Network. Everything? Everything. The entire net. Oh my god. The only good part about that is that at some point we'll get to Flowers in the Attic, and that was so fucking good. You know, we could just choose just that one movie. I will probably make us cover that at some point. We're in the end game of season two of Cinema de More. On October 31st, our anniversary, we're going to start season three. So these are our last three episodes of the season. We don't have a Halloween episode this year. We do have a Halloween episode, but we'll be discussing The Exorcist. Halloween, the series. You know, we're not out of luck yet because they are shopping for Halloween to find the new place right now. And I think they said Paramount is the leading bid so far. (laughs) It also includes a TV show, which is going to be six episodes of something that takes place in the Halloween 3 season of The Witch World. I only am not opposed to that because Evil Dead's TV show was excellent. Chucky's TV show is excellent. The TV shows are working really well with the 80s properties. They're doing good job with them. But Evil Dead and Chucky are really batshit and wild and out there. I feel like it's 50-50. I do like Chucky. I liked Hannibal. I wasn't big on Bates Motel. And wasn't there an Exorcist show too? I didn't watch the Exorcist show. Yeah, I didn't see that one. Bates Motel was weird. I wasn't a fan of it. I hated it. Yeah, okay. That's Add that to the list of things I hate. I just hated it. There's something with that actor. I don't know. I want to like him, but also, like, it's hard to like. Maybe that's a good thing, because the characters he plays are supposed to be hard to like. You have to like him now. He's got the autism. 
Oh, God. <laughs> and he yells and makes inappropriate gestures and sayings because, again, he's got the autism. I am a surgeon! I am a surgeon! I am! I am a surgeon! I am a surgeon! Dr. Hahn, I am a surgeon! They had a trailer where I guess his girlfriend is a lawyer. And she's also autistic, so the tease was the good doctor meets the good lawyer or something like that. It's like, you're adding a meaning to the word good that's not good. What do they think autism is? They think autism is Rain Man. They, everyone still thinks that that's just right. it. They're, they're like savants. Like, every single person that has it has magical abilities. Rachel's autistic. Let's drop some toothpicks and ask her how many there are. It's <laughs> my favorite Bob's Burger bit. Count the toothpicks, 100. Oh, gee, there's three. Jesus, you're the worst kind of autistic. <laughs> you should make her do that, and she will be good at it, and then you'll be like, wait a minute, we lived in Vegas together, what the fuck? I've done that to her. You drop the toothpicks? Yeah, yes. <laughs> and then did you say, now pick them up? And then I give her a lot of shit about Sonic the Hedgehog. How does that tie into being autistic? <laughs> Autistic people are obsessed with Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, I guess I'm autistic then. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said too, because I was, wait, I'm like really into Sonic, and I'm like, oh, am I autistic? Because <laughs> I'm really into Sonic. Yeah, you gotta stay off YouTube. You're getting into a dark place. <laughs> I have. I've walked into some stuff I shouldn't. We're getting into demons, our theme. I believe Chuck came up with. Is that right, Chuck? Was that you? You blaming me? You came up with this. I didn't come this up with demons. You. This was your discussion. This is all. I blame you for this. I'm not blaming Chuck. I'm not blaming Chuck. <laughs> You're trying to. <laughs> you said this is Chuck's theme. It is a mutual theme that we all agreed on, but I'm asking who's the person who came up with the idea. You. <laughs> it wasn't. I said ghosts. You said, let's do the exorcist. And I said, we all agreed to that. And then you said, should we do demons or possession? And I said, we should do possession. You have a shit memory, Lexi. You really I do. I do not. I do not. <laughs> I remember very clearly this conversation. I was pro-ghost, so why did that fall through? I was pro-ghost. <laughs> you had your own idea, and I think Chuck's the one that said, how about demons? And I was like, you want to do that? Might have happened that way. I mean, it was a mutual decision. We all agreed on it's it, that's like, for it's sure. It's like a fight between mom and dad, and Chuck's just like the kid staying out of the fucking fight. <laughs> He's a single mother okay. trying to raise his kids without having arguments. Our movie today, Rosemary's Baby, has zero franchise. It had a remake. It did. A TV show thing. That's what, that's what you're talking about? Yeah. That miniseries? I, but I, just, I knew there was a, there was some kind of remake at one point. And I, yeah, I thought it was a made-for-TV thing. I did not know about that. Zoe Saldana. Yeah. She was Rosemary oh, in it. I do remember that. They made like a big deal about it when it was coming out, and then nobody talked about it after it came out. Because it's like The Shining. The Shining did the same thing. Let's have a made-for-TV movie that nobody's asking for. With Kirtland Mead as the little boy. Nobody wanted that. I don't know anybody else that was in the Rosemary's Baby thing. You know who thing. wanted that? Stephen King wanted that, so... You Stephen can't say King nobody wanted, wanted that. that. There was nobody who wanted that more than Stephen King. 
I um actually did like the made for TV Shining movie. You're kind of wrong, Justin. This is a fully franchise thing. There is there's another uh, made for TV movie that was made in the seventies called Look What's Happened to Rosemary's Baby. And sometimes it's called Rosemary's Baby too. <laughs> Look who's talking to Rosemary's Baby. Three men and Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> I want to see that movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. We've had multiple Rosemary's Baby versions, I guess. More than I would have assumed, at least. And the writer, Ira Levin, he did write a sequel 30-some yeah. years later, which he said he did not plan that it would take place exactly 33 years after little Adrian is born. Honestly, that would be kind of a cool title, just Andy. Based on a book, right? Yes, it's called Rosemary's Baby. Okay. <laughs> by Ira Levin. And actually, what's really strange, two weeks from this recording, Steph took me to go see Chuck Palina for his new book. And out of the blue, he brought up Rosemary's Baby. It's one of his favorite books and one of his favorite movies. I just think that's crazy because it's literally the next episode that we're going to record on the podcast, and we've had this planned for a couple months now. We were in Half Price Books, and I found the sequel book, but I didn't buy it because it looked like garbage. It might be garbage. Well, I mean, yeah. But yeah not, the, not the quality of it, but the, the physical quality of the uh, of the book oh. itself looked terrible. I was like, I, I can't <laughs> even justify spending the $2 on this. It follows the book pretty well, from my understanding. I did not read the book, but I've heard the story a million times about how a lot of this is going to go back to the head of Paramount at the time, Robert Evans, who's like maybe one of the most influential people of that time, of the 60s. I guess 60s and 70s, because he's also notorious for when they were editing The Godfather, when they saw the first cut of The Godfather, he told them to make it longer. So... You don't usually get that coming out of a producer's mouth. At the time, because Rosemary's Baby, and we'll get into all the crime of Roman Polanski, too, because why not? I feel like we have to. What? He did something? You didn't hear? No. Uh, we'll talk about it. At the time, he was the director that Robert Evans was gunning for to direct this movie because he really loved the style. Roman Polanski it was huge into skiing. Ooh. So he said, hey, I got this skiing script that I want you to read. It was for Downhill Racer, I believe. Or I'm making that up. He came and he gave him the script, also gave him a copy of Rosemary's Baby. He's like, can you read that first, though, and get back to me and tell me what you think about this book? Polanski read it that night, and he was hooked. Just goes into the Robert Evans manipulative person stories. I mean, this is the guy, too, that when they were making this movie and they had cast Mia Farrow because Roman Polanski was more, like, artistic in his style, he was a lot slower, and the movie was starting to go over budget because he wasn't making his days, so it was going longer and longer and longer. At the time, Mia Farrow was married to Frank Sinatra, and Frank Sinatra, he was livid. He did not like the script of Rosemary's Baby. He's like the patriarch that's in this movie where he was just controlling and like, I don't think you should do this. I don't think this is the right movie for you to do. I don't see Frank Sinatra enjoy Rosemary's Baby and sound like it's up his alley. As the movie got pushed back farther and farther and farther, it was actually coming to a head with Rosemary's Baby. They actually ended up being released on the same day but he was greatly trying to convince Mia Farrow to drop out of the project. He did not want her doing it. 
she was so distraught she was really gonna do it and robert evans is the one that took her and showed her these dailies and he's like this is the best goddamn thing that i've ever seen this is gonna be the biggest role for your life like look how good you are that detective shit that frank sinatra's doing it's garbage trust me he actually served her divorce papers while they were filming rosemary's baby so they got divorced the movies did come out the same weekend Rosemary's Baby was a huge blockbuster, and the detective didn't do shit. So she kind of won that. Sinatra was a piece of shit. I mean, it's not anything new, but it's like, God, like, don't I hear some fucking story about Frank Sinatra? It's like, God, he was such a garbage human. There's not really, like, a whole lot of great things about him, other than the fact that the guy could fucking sing. That's all you needed back in the day. I know, right? He's not even, like, the worst person in this story. I know what we're getting into here. There's a lot of shit that's revolved around the director, Roman Polanski, that is outside of Rosemary's Baby for the most part. But this was another movie where he was trying to get his wife, Sharon Tate, to get the role. It ultimately ended up going to Mia Farrow because they liked her better as the more naive, more panic-driven type person. Which I do. I think she's perfect for the role. I think that she did it well. This movie comes out in 68. It's a year later that there's the Manson killings and Sharon Tate ends up getting murdered in his house. That's awful connection number one. Oh, the way that you said it made me think that Mia Farrow was killed as well in the house. I'm like, I don't know. No, she lived on. She married (laughs) Woody Allen. I was going to say, I'm like, I thought Mia Farrow lived a while and stuff. I was like, I didn't know about that. She has her own weird problems with people with kids. I was also going to bring up, they shot this movie, well, the exteriors, at the famous Dakota Apartments in New York, and that's the same place that John Lennon got shot outside of. That was 1980, so obviously that's 12 years in the future. But when Sharon Tate was murdered, the Manson family, they were actually inspired by Helter Skelter from the Beatles. I don't know, it just ties together in a weird way. Playing three degrees of Kevin Bacon here. It's like two degrees of murder with Manson. (laughs) But yeah, the biggest and worst thing is that he's a pedophile and uh, a sex offender and a rapist. He's fled the country and not come back to America because as soon as he steps foot in this country, he's going to jail. He served half of his sentence. They did a backroom deal thing for him. This is the legal side after everything that's happened, which everything that's happened was fucked too. Yeah, he gets a 90-day prison sentence. He's in prison for half that time. He's allowed to travel still because he was working on other movies. There's a picture of him out at a bar having a good time in some other country. It kind of got back to the judge that they were like, we got to put him back in jail longer. People aren't happy that he's just off scot-free living his life with his shortened sentence. When he heard that, the notion that he was going to be put away for a lot longer, that's when he fled. He fled to, I think, France or something. And he was actually arrested 2009, I think. Was it Sweden? But he was actually arrested for these charges. They were dropped after a year, and the United States wanted him extradited back to the United States, and they wouldn't do it. So that's why he's still... Yeah, I remember that. Still out there, but yeah. Super Predator. This girl's 13 years old. He's 43 years old, so he's 30 years older. He's definitely a child. He was looking for models for, like, some sort of Vogue thing or something like that, some sort of photography thing that he was doing. I mean, obviously, his real thing was this. He had done, like, a photo shoot with her in a hot tub where he asked her to be nude, and she did it. 
It was the second shoot that was the private shoot at Jack Nicholson's house. The story's so fucking strange. I feel awful for this girl. Her mother had to have known what she was driving her to. It was this one-on-one -on -one session with her and Roman Polanski. Angelica Houston's there. She's dating Jack Nicholson at the time. And they were doing like whatever their photo shoot was and she had left. And when she had come back, they were in a bedroom. They have done everything at this point, I guess. She's knocking on the door and we're just finishing up our photo shoot. From that girl's stories, it's the creepiest shit of all time. He is a great filmmaker, but that doesn't make any of this stuff go away. He's definitely- Great, you're good at making movies. And you rape children. It's amazing what people will excuse. Because you have a talent of something, yeah. And he's been allowed to do it for like the past 50 years. It's astonishing. He's still making movies, isn't he? Oh yeah, definitely. He won the Academy Award, uh, I don't know what it's called, the French one. And that's the one where the girl from Portrait of a Lady on Fire, like when he won it for directing that movie, she got up and left the award show. Guy's like almost as bad as Phil Spector in a lot of ways. And it's like, he's out there making movies and it's like, okay. As far as I know, it doesn't seem repetitive, like a serial predator, but one's enough for me. One is too much. I understand he had a tragedy occur to him. He is the victim of a tragedy, but then he's also created a victim of tragedies. Does that excuse your... What affects her more is him fleeing and all the story that's followed for years has been worse on her than what happened to her that night. Right. I also think, you know, she's young, so I don't think she really understands 100% what she's talking about. I mean, even though she's an adult now and she can look back on it, at the time she might have been okay with it. I don't know what she was thinking. It's just another victim that didn't see justice in our entertainment system and i think that's like a big problem with our entertainment system there's too many victims throughout our entertainment system who are allowed to have this happen and when you go back to the discussion with mia farrow <clears throat> mia farrow is you know a victim of pedophilia again with woody allen who is once again blatantly allowed to continue working in the industry and has a very large list of people who they're like oh he's woody allen you have to let him work like he's some kind of great inspiration and it's like i don't care like his Stuff is so blatant and out there and it's like it doesn't matter what you do there should be some sort of responsibility punishment i mean i guess with woody allen's thing it's a little bit more difficult because it's not on record it could be hearsay lately like hooked up with his adopted daughter that's fucked up yeah but oh, God. he married her at legal age he was not blood related to her i'm not defending it i'm just saying I... like it's creepy you don't like it creepy let's not even talk about the fact that most of his movies are about underage girls i mean maybe like manhattan i guess four or five different films where it's like the subject know them huh know them be yeah. able to name them i'm not into woody allen enough i watched a documentary about it where they listed them and i was like okay for Roman Polanski, you know that petition that was made for them to, like, forgive him of this crime. There's a famous article. I'm trying to remember the newspaper or whatever that published it. But it was written by Harvey Weinstein as to why <laughs> Roman Polanski should be allowed to come back to this country and direct movies again. Yeah, it would be fucking... It would be him, yeah. They had a petition and, like, so many people signed it. And then people came back on it. Natalie Portman was one of the ones that was like, I didn't know what I was signing at the time. Pretty much everyone you can think of. He's Definitely like, heroes of yours, Lexi. I thought I was signing a paper yeah. that said Roman Polanski is a terrible person. That's, that's what I thought yeah. I was signing. Yeah, I find the wrong thing. <laughs>
Asia Argento signed it and it said the same thing. Wasn't she a victim of rape too? Yes. Something happened to her. Guillermo del Toro, he signed that thing. David Lynch signed that thing. Harmony Corrine signed that thing. So oh, many people. Disappointing. <laughs> so many people signed that thing. We talked about Chinatown before, which is another great movie. Kind of didn't dive too much into. Background on that movie has like a really sordid history. <laughs> I feel like this movie, Chinatown, you're running into movies that all happened before all this stuff takes place. So I feel like it's a little bit different than like he did Carnage a couple years ago and he got Christoph Waltz and Kate Winslet, I think. I can't remember who the other guy was, like John C. Riley maybe or something. Kate Winslet's recently been in been in his movies and Woody Allen's movies in like the last ten years. She's yeah. See, I feel like if you're a modern day actor and you're willingly going and working in a Polanski film, I think it's questionable. I wouldn't work in this movie. Like, I understand who he is, but also like I understand who he is, and like I don't care. So I'm, like, I'm not working on that. I'm born 1986. It's early 2000s. I'm really getting into movies. That's where I find Roman Polanski, and that's where I'm like, oh. This guy's really great at making movies and not really even knowing any of this story that happened, that he's not in the country. Like, I didn't know any of this. The allegations against Woody Allen weren't even out at the time. Just he's a creep that married his adoptive daughter. Yeah. These things have happened already. It had to take a couple years later till we basically get to 2017 where we have that Me Too movement and people actually start getting pushed out somewhat. Like Harvey Weinstein is basically out of the picture in jail. When you talk about it like that, like I know growing up, I watched a lot of Polanski's films without knowing that I was watching Polanski's films necessarily. Polanski is a filmmaker that even though his films are prolific, slides under the radar a little bit more people aren't so much like oh it's polanski like it's if you're a film person you are but like it's not like the majority whereas like kubrick is a majority director everybody knows kubrick a little bit more do you know what i'm saying with that like, oh yeah i mean like if you're looking at somebody that's not a huge film fanatic parent or something oh yeah i remember rosemary's baby that's a great like they don't know the director of that movie exactly you know, they're not he's not a director who puts his name on everything the way that like some do i feel like knife in the water repulsion this chinatown the pianist tenant they all feel like him they do the they all they all feel like his movie the pianist is like one of the most beautiful movies i've ever seen and that's probably his last big movie that i can think of such a good fucking movie once again i didn't realize that was him or ninth <laughs> gate i'm a big fan of the ninth gate i think that that is a great movie ninth gate's an excellent movie too <laughs> i know that's chuck's favorite not a bad movie is that a joke or is that slight? I can never tell with you two. No. I like it because it's basically the same kind of formula as Rosemary's Baby, but with more ambiguity at the end. Information is there, and you have to piece it together. With Rosemary's Baby, which I would hope most people know the plot, but maybe people don't. I don't know who's tuning into this episode. Uh, it all revolves around the fact that this young couple, primarily the woman Rosemary, has been impregnated by the devil or so she thinks and i think that this movie actually plays out in such a great way of it could be paranoia to an extent and the horror in this movie is a lot worse like the main idea is like oh what if you were impregnated by the devil 
but that's not the worst thing that's happening to this person in this movie. Literally everything else. I can think of one person off the top of my head that I work with and her favorite movie, she said, of all time is Rosemary's Baby. And I've only heard one other person say that who was also a woman. So I think there's this female nightmare element of Rosemary's Baby, which is just everything that you fight for. Her body is not her body. She doesn't have say over it. There's this patriarchy that totally drives what she does and what she doesn't do. There's even a scene in this movie where there's a doctor. He's not involved with the cult aspect of what's going on. But what's he do? He like, uh, gonna call her husband, gonna call her doctor, even though she asked me not to. She's a woman. She doesn't know what's best for her. So I'm gonna take the reins there. I think a scene that I found very troubling when I was watching it was when he's trying to seduce the wife and have sex with her they agree oh let's have a baby and then he drugs her with the the pudding she starts getting woozy and then she's like oh i'm tired i'm gonna lay down and he's like okay well i'll help you and she's like i'm sorry i ruined the evening he's like no 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 like don't worry about it like just lay down and go to sleep like that's the way that that scene plays out and then obviously like we see like the cults come in and you know engaging with her and the demon is doing his thing with her and then she wakes up in the morning and she's like had sleep you know like the paralysis like she's not totally sure what happened to her and she's like no like what happened last night and he's like oh you like passed the fuck out when we get to sleep she's, she's all like, scratched up. up too yeah she wakes up she's all scratched up and he's like oh 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 my nails were too long uh, couldn't help myself so like you're trying to cover your ass about the demon coming in and having sex with your wife by basically telling your wife that you like raped her that's such a fucked up scene you just told her you brutally raped her in her sleep when she was passed out made that sound like that was like an okay thing because you're married yeah he's like oh you know what I was like horny and like you were there and bro you gotta come up with anything better than that i can't believe that that would be like what you would go to for your cover story for this (laughs) i I fucking guess john cassavetes is awesome in this movie from my understanding his work that he's actually directed he like to like improv a lot and have a lot of freedom he uses a lot of like non-actors anyway Polanski sticks to the book and to the shots and everything. You have to land all your marks. So apparently him, Cassavetes, and Roman Polanski like really butted heads on this because he'd be like, my character, the move around. And he's like, no, you just got to sit there and, and give your lines. So I think about that scene where he's got the crutches and he's just going back and forth, back and forth. Is this Roman Polanski compromising? Like just letting him move around and like just follow him. I don't care. Let the Cassavetes do whatever he wants to do. Uh, they tried to get Robert Redford for the role, but they couldn't get him for some reason. I think this guy was a good casting. He's got the stupid, bumbling husband quality very well. I think he works really well for this role. He's an idiot. He's going to flub the secret the whole time. This guy's going to fuck it all up. The movie does a great job at weird things are happening, but maybe it's in her head a little bit. This whole conspiracy that you have, it's their first night in their apartment this big wardrobe is blocking a closet for some reason. Somebody put it there because they did not want people accessing their apartment. And that first night that they're in bed together, they hear the weird chanting through the walls. I mean, at that point, he's not in on it. He's not in on it until he doesn't get that role. 
they keep bringing up how he's done two plays and a bunch of commercials and stuff, which uh, that's one of my favorite things that they keep coming back to. He was in Luther. Oh, he played Luther? Oh, no, he, he wasn't any of the big parts in that. You don't see it happen, but obviously he gets convinced by the neighbors at some point that let us... <laughs> Let us have the spawn of Satan with your wife, and we'll, we'll make that acting career happen for you. They try to play it off. You're, kind of, you're like skipping over how he gets the acting part of what happened. Uh, guy just went blind. Yeah. Like, what? It just happens. <laughs> guy just goes blind. And like everyone just like moves on from that. And it's just like, but what happened? And it's like, I don't know. Just woke up and was blind. One of my favorite movies of the last 10 years is Anchorman Mother too. by Darren Aronofsky. Which, what were you going to say? Anchorman 2? Anchorman 2 for his character going blind. <laughs> that was the connection I was going to. Of... So, Ron, what do you do with yourself all day? You're just out here pretty much away from everything. Well, every day begins about the same. I wake up screaming in terror because of the blackness, and I think I'm dead. Every day? Yes, every day. Then I begin what's called the great adventure, making breakfast. I've eaten everything from nails to drink coasters. One time I bit hard into a marble ashtray, thinking it was a savory waffle. I wanted that waffle so bad. Completely shattered my teeth. Couldn't you tell the ashtray wasn't hot like a waffle? No, I couldn't, because I'm blind. I'm not blind 23 hours a day or 22 hours a day. I'm blind the whole goddamn time. Do you have any idea what it's like to drink a half a bottle of ketchup, thinking it was a bottle of 1946 Chateau Neuf de Pop. I even decanted it. You drank half a bottle of that. That's that's like like nine or ten gulps. I mean, you couldn't tell that was ketchup. Did I stutter? I'm blind. You're having a tough time, Ron. I know. You know what the biggest indignity is? I can't even masturbate. Why? Heck, one morning I spent 20 minutes aggressively rubbing my shin. Wondering, where's the sensation? Where's the pleasure coming? You rubbed your shin thinking it was a penis? I know, you think I'm stupid, don't you? No! The weirdo who lives in the weird lighthouse in the middle of nowhere. Ron, it was your choice to live in a weird lighthouse. You know why I live here? Let me say it real slow and real loud. I'm blind! Can't you tell I'm blind? I'm blind. <laughs> I thought I was masturbating. But we're touching the other day you. It, was, it turned out it was a lobster for two hours. <laughs> but you had to. I, I'm blind. That's the highlight of Anchorman 2. That's the definitive scene. That feels like that's what that character, when she, when she talks to him later, she talks to that actor and she's like, So you're still doing good? And he's like, Yeah, I guess other than I'm blind. <laughs> I've never seen Anchorman 1 or 2. You'll love them. We'll do them. They're worth doing. I've only seen the Scotch scene. That's like the opening of Anchorman, so you're like, yeah, you're in for a treat. No, I was going to bring up uh, the movie Mother, because there's this theme of Mother that really bugs me, which is that invasiveness of other people. The neighbor, the nosy neighbor. Yeah, and that's totally, it even gets to the point where he goes to the door, and she's like, please just don't let them in. Like, please, I can't have another night of that woman. Minnie, Minnie is just, keep her out of the house. I also like, too, where the first time they meet, they do it to be, like, nice, and they're even making kind of, like, fun, like, oh, we're we're not going to be friends with the old neighbors. But then it gets to the point where, like, Guy Woodhouse, is that his name? They end up becoming, like, his best friend. So he's, like, over there every single night, always hanging out and talking to these people. 
So he befriended these people that she's like, I don't want anything to do with them. Bringing over her buddy, like, oh, my friend just wanted to meet you. Which, you know, because she wants to meet the mother of the Antichrist or whatever. It all works out. I did find something interesting in this movie that, well, I knew we were going to talk about it on the podcast, so, like, it clicked a little bit more. Obviously, the point that you know that Cassavetes is in on it is when he specifically wants to conceive the baby on one of these two days. That's the night that he drugs her, and that's the night that he rapes her. Well, he doesn't, but he says he does. Weirdly, the birthday of the Antichrist is June 28th, which is really close to Chuck. So Chuck could be the Antichrist. But the reason that date's important is because it's almost the complete opposite of Jesus, December 25th. He's a cancer. It's also June of 1966, so it's 666. But more importantly, I just wanted to point out that I think Chuck could potentially be the Antichrist based off of his birthday. Possibility. <laughs> He's got good taste in movies. Is that what the devil has? I absolutely believe the devil would have good taste in movies. <laughs> because aren't the things that are supposed to like draw you in and be like very entertaining, but also like kind of like you're not supposed to want to watch them? Aren't they supposed to be sinful and devilish? Isn't that the whole point? Could be. Sometimes the devil just disappears. Devils in the details, that's what they say. <laughs> the devil's in the details. And in this case, the middle of the episode. <laughs> I told you I would be back. This is the point where Charles Lee Ray exits the episode. Technology is such a bitch. <laughs> That's actually some of the fun, like never knowing. The funeral scene, that dress, and the funeral scene that she had, I fucking want that. That was the best dress ever, with the sheer sleeves and the fucking big collar. Oh my god, I was like, that was the fucking hottest dress one thing I noticed in this movie is that it takes place in 1968. It takes place in 1966. Well, shot in 68 or whatever. They shoot it in 68, 6 and probably just like took a while to edit and what have you. The book came out in 67 okay. and the movie was made that same year. Polanski's heard of Andy Warhol's crew. Am I not mistaken in that? He hung out with Velvet Underground and those people and he was part of the hip kind of like, I know that they were, like, the London scene, but, like, he was still part of that whole... Wasn't he part of that? Am I not mistaken in that? Because The reason I, I asked that is because this movie, visually, is very hip and very ahead of its time, and I felt like I was watching a film that was shot in the mid-70s. Stylistically, and the clothing, and the way people's hair and dress was, it was very modern and very with it. The subject matter that he was choosing to talk about, he had a an actor who had a wife, right? They weren't common type people. They were like hipper, younger types. They were more Hollywood types. They weren't really common type people. So the film that he was kind of making was a really hip, cool, fresh film that had a really great visual style. So even though it's a film that was going to get released in theaters, I can see this being a film that would have really captured a hipper, cooler audience. You know what I'm saying? I see yeah. why it gets 
a lot of praise from film people. What does she say when she cuts her hair? It's Vidal. Vidal Sassoon. Yeah. Yeah. She says it three times. It's and that's, Vidal Sassoon. I love that scene. I love when she cuts her hair. It's Vidal Sassoon. Everybody gives her shit for it. Dude, that's just so funny. Like, that was one of my favorite parts of the movie was that. But there's a lot of jokes like that throughout the movie that are those kind of very hip with it modern things. And, like, the way that he dresses her in the movie, she's so fucking with it. Like I said, like that funeral scene with that dress. Oh God, that dress was so fucking good. So fucking modern and so like hip as well. Like even though it was a funeral dress, that's not a funeral dress. I'm like, that dress is way too hot for a funeral. That's too cute. Like it was too not funeral. It was Hollywood funeral. I don't know exactly where their money comes from, I guess. I don't have enough of a background on these characters. But if he's not a successful actor and she's stay-at-home wife, they have to come from a rich family or something. It has the visual style of the way that we do things now. When we make a movie and they're like, oh, we're two young people who just got our first home. And when you and I are sitting there looking at it, we're going, who the fuck can afford that? Yeah, like they have the dream apartment in New York, really close to Broadway. It's a fucking loft with like a brick wall on one side. And you're like, there's no way that you could possibly afford that. That's a $4,000 plus apartment. When Cassavetes is like, let's celebrate. I'll go down and get ice cream. You know that it's relatively close for him to do and come back. Right. Well, and she said all the theaters were within walking distance, mm -hmm. and, like, that would be, like, a, you know... They're right there looking at Central Park. Right. These are some of the most expensive places that you can live in Manhattan. Well, think about the design, too, like, the production yeah. design. Not just the costumes, which are hip. The furniture and... Yeah, everything. Yeah. But, like, once again, the use of color. It's an incredibly bright film, but the color scheme is very of the mod scene like that late 60s early 70s andy warhol mod scene from like fashion of, of that time period the colors that are being used the greens the blues the pastels there's a lot of pastels that are like very of that time period all of her clothing and like the hairstyles and things like that but also all the people on the street every person is dressed very hip the girl that she talks to in the laundromat, super fucking with it. Super hip, like, clothing. If you understand the fashion of that time period, everybody in this movie is way too fucking hip. And so, like, you have to think about it, looking at it like what we were just saying, where it's, like, watching a movie where we're supposed to think these people are moving into, like, a shithole apartment, but everybody in the apartment's wearing the most hip and modern clothes of the time period, and everybody's dressed like they're, like, all work and, like... The neighbors are the old money. Besides the other girl that she meets in the laundry room, I mean, there is the scene of her birthday where she invites people that are her friends, and that's the only time that you really get to see your friends, and they're exactly the people that you're describing. They're the hippest of right. the late 60s. Actually kind of an interesting scene, too, where they're talking to her in her kitchen, and she doesn't look well, and they're like, maybe you should go to another doctor and quit taking this doctor's advice because you don't seem well, Rosemary. It's the only scene in this movie that's extremely feminine where they've got her back and yeah. she doesn't have that for the rest of the movie. And she's at that point, she brings up how she doesn't want to get an abortion. She's so afraid that she's not going to have another baby that she's focused on wanting to have this one. Yeah, She'll take whatever hell that she's going through to see this through to the end. 
do you think that she's a strong character? I mean, she survives a lot of abuse, but she doesn't exactly, like, fight them or stand up for herself. This is a, an example of a woman being gaslit, right? Oh, 100%. The perfect example. If you were like, what does gaslighting mean? Watch Rosemary's Baby. The only other example of this that I can think of that would be a perfect example is The Haunting where it's a film about a woman being gaslit. Which haunting are you talking about? The original black and white haunting. Not the remake that they did. The Robert Wise one from like the 60s or whatever? Yeah. Okay. The, the, the book The Haunting is about a woman who's being gaslit. That's literally what the book is about. It's a guy who comes in and tells her that her house is haunted and he's fucking gaslighting her. That's what the whole story is. And that's what the movie is too. It's really just a story about a woman being gaslit. And I found a lot of correlations between The Haunting and Rosemary's Baby when I watched it. I was like, damn, like these movies are very, very similar. The main character, I don't know if she, why she goes to that house or why she's invited to that house. I can't remember. But she does have an extremely controlling husband or something that she yeah. has to like escape from to get to that house. Yeah, it's an abused woman who ends up in a house and she's being gaslit. And essentially it's her figuring out that she's being gaslit by her husband that's what it is and he's trying to give her a mental breakdown so i think that he gets her money i think is like what she's trying to do is essentially give her a mental breakdown to either get her institutionalized or kill her i think is the plot like if i'm not mistaken watching the original from start to finish and watching the way that people are dealing with the main character in that and they're following her around and they're like oh this is happening to you oh this is happening to you and the way that they're fucking with her throughout the movie to break her down mentally and the way they're fucking with rosemary throughout this movie to break her down mentally i think the discussion of is she a strong female character or not i don't think that discussion can exist because we've been discussing my own traumas recently and i'm not going to go into them but when you're a victim of continuous mental manipulation and it's going on for a long time sometimes you're not always able to be as strong as you are. And so even if you are a strong woman, eventually you're gonna get to a point where those are not gonna matter because you're stuck in a loop of questioning. Not to cut you off, but no, no. to get yeah, into yeah. that, my question is, is she a strong character because of what she's enduring? She's just being abused and she's along for the ride. We're all strong. Think about the abuses that she takes in this movie. She definitely is aware that it's going on. She's trying to stop it. So she's definitely not accepting of what is going on with her. And there is a point when she tries to break the cycle. That's a good thing. There is a definitely a strength in her of, I don't want this. I want to break the cycle. I'm thinking more along with the ideas of the things that you hear about now. Everyone's starting to talk about them, such as gaslighting. I think of things repeatedly like don't read books. You shouldn't be reading books. And there's a point where she does read and Cassavetes takes the book off of her. That's another form of abuse to keep people uneducated, to isolate people too. So there's a lot of cult aspects to this, like Scientology, things like that. Too. You don't hear anything about her family. No. One thing that I find myself wondering, first of all, I really liked the ending. On this watch, I didn't really remember the ending quite as well and when she goes and opens the closet and goes down the corridor and finds that the cult is legit and everything that she thought was real is real and they did take her baby from her and it was satan's baby and all that shit and she's like you're rocking the baby wrong 
I am a mother and I'm trying to like mother and whatever. I get that she's like, it's my baby and I'm gonna take control of the scenario and I'm gonna be the mother. It's like, if you're gonna do this to me and you're gonna put me in this situation and you're gonna whatever, then I'm at least gonna be its mother. So you can go suck my dick. Well, there's nobody here that's a, a mother to discuss this on the episode, but no. there's that old feeling that everyone talks about, like that first time that you see your baby and then you fall in love with that baby. She's horrified when she sees that baby. But very quickly, she becomes very motherly to that baby. There's an aspect to it all where it's an acceptance of that you're not going to have any control over your life. She already has no control over her life. You're stuck with that. There's nothing you can do. Being its mother isn't going to make things better, or you're not really going to have any control over that scenario. So I'm not sure like how I feel about her accepting her fate. I mean, I don't know if she 100% accepts it. I think it's a terrible ending. I think it's a good ending to the movie. She might kill the baby. She might suffocate that baby. You know what I mean? You don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just mean, I think her fate is terrible. I think that's an awful, like, thing to have to have happen to you. It's like, even if you get your baby back, I don't really think that it's fun. It's like another modern thing where people get raped and they're not allowed to have an abortion and they have to see the baby to term. And I'm sure they love this baby, but it's also a product of a terrible thing. It kind of mirrors that. Where this movie succeeds and feels so much different than any other horror film is that it's not based off of the jump scare. Well, you're talking about like how everything looks. It doesn't look like a horror film. It doesn't even really play out like a is. horror film. It, but it could be a drama, you know? Like, I, you think, know? I, well, I think like, that's I think, like, the problem with this movie. Remember when, I, when you told me we were doing this movie and I smirted off at you and I was like, you wrote me, baby. And you were like, Rosemary Babies of your brilliant film. And I was like, I don't want to do this movie. It's shit. I saw this movie when I was a teenager. This movie is on lists. You know, when you're looking up lists of horror movies and you're into The Exorcist, we're going to be covering The Exorcist later on. The Exorcist probably wouldn't even happen if this movie wasn't made and successful. The Omen wouldn't happen if this movie wasn't successful. The Omen for sure. Absolutely. And I get that, and I understand that. My favorite movie is The Exorcist. Like, I am actually, like, a diehard fan of The Exorcist. It's one of my all-time favorite movies, and I am actually genuinely into possession films. I don't know why I'm into possession films, but I'm super into possession shit. Like, I just get really into it. When I'm looking for that possession fix, you know, you go down the rabbit hole, and you start looking for, like, more of those, like, big old historic, like, films, like we do. Does it bother you that there's nothing supernatural in this movie? No, it's not that, but what I'm getting at is that when I was looking for The Exorcist, when I was looking for a demonic possession film, when I was looking for that, mm -hmm. and I went into this movie, this movie's not that. It's not something I would put on the same list as The Exorcist. Another one of my favorite movies from the last couple of years is Hereditary. And right. it's it's that. You could call it a cult film. Because besides the fact that she verbally says, what's with the eyes, that this baby doesn't look normal. Chuck Palahniuk, when I saw him and he brought up Rosemary's Baby, he was talking about how when that book was written, the fear that Ira Levin was tapping into was the fear that mothers have of what if my baby's deformed? I, I don't know the technical term for it, but the fear that my baby, something's going to be wrong with my baby. 
I feel like that is an element of this movie. Like, it, it makes it into the movie where there are other movies that covered it. Something like Batman Returns. I'm sorry. The kid's born with flippers, no, essentially. Yeah, and the parents don't want him, and they dump him. They dump him into the sewer. They dump him into the sewer. It's the same kind of concept. If you think about it, you take out the dream sequence, the whole thing could happen and not be demonic. It's not a possession film. No, it's not. It's a cult that believes that this is Antichrist, and it might not be. And there's a lot of what if, what if not. There's a complete elimination of supernatural element from the film. Because you're, you're truly not sure. And even at the end of the film, when you do get the reveal of the baby, you're not even really sure. You don't get to see the baby. They don't show you the baby. There's no reveal. There's no anything. So even at that point, you're still not 100, 100% sure if even, like, they didn't just take her baby and then fuck with her again. Like, maybe they're just a crazy cult that just, like, needs the baby for their own selfish needs and they're fucking with her again and they've manipulated her so much and they've gaslit her so much that she thinks it's a satan baby and it's not a satan baby there's so much in this movie to have a discussion about when it comes to that stuff but also like this movie's really funny there's a nice mix of Hey, you got Charles Grodin in it. I wasn't able to appreciate it when I was watching when I was younger, but, like, there's some really good humor in this. But also, like, if you want to dig deep into the psychology of what's going on with Rosemary, there is a really deep, brutal, psychological discussion there. But you can also not do that and have a light film if you want to. There's a lot of layers to this movie. You can have a light film experience with this. You can have a heavy film experience with this. And it's kind of unique in that way. Kind of what you're saying, it is an actual brilliant film. Because it's got a lot going on. And it's, it's almost like two films on top of each other going on at the same time. What is actually going on, and if it's a serious film or it's not a serious film. And so all the characters that are fucking with her are so wacky. They're so out there and they're so bizarre. So when that final sequence happens, when you finally get all those characters who've been fucking with her the whole movie all sitting in the same room together doing their thing, it's absurd. And it's like the funniest fucking scene I've ever seen in my entire life. Like I'm like cracking up laughing. I'm like, look at this shit. They're all just like in weird hats and like being fucking like festive and bizarre. And it has a wonderful like POV shot from her, like of like panning around the room and looking at everybody while it's like walking in and seeing everyone's faces and reactions and stuff. It's funny when she goes into that room at the end, the neighbor's apartment, they see her for the first time. Yeah. And that guy that the camera is like... Well, he's got that face. He's like, let's get a picture of the baby. Like, he doesn't yeah, say yeah, anything. Yeah. It's just a very funny. And then it's also funny, too, when she drops the knife into the floor. Yeah. And, and Minnie pulls it out. She wipes it like, damn it, you fucked up my floor. <laughs> yeah. Like, no one even cares that she found them. Nobody's, like, upset. They're like, ah, whatever. She's here now. It's like the surprise. Well, I like how not everybody is in on it. Some people are, like, shocked that she's there. And other people don't know that she's out of the loop. Some people right. must be under the impression that she knows what she signed up for or, you know, something like that. And the husband's like, oh, like. <laughs> you know what's sad? Going back to it a little bit where you're like, I don't know if I'd even consider this a horror movie. Isn't it kind of sad that all this abuse that happens to her and it's not considered a horror movie? 
I can gaslight you, abuse you, be toxic to you, and it's a drama. It, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, I think what's interesting is, well, I, I think it's what's interesting is that we've concluded that it's really funny, too. Because it is funny. Well, I think it's funny. Have you noticed, though, that there is a strong theme of horror movies from predominantly like the 50s and 60s in particular, where a bunch of women being gaslit? Mm -hmm. One of my favorite ones is one of the RKO horror films, Bedlam, and it's literally a guy at the time says, my wife's crazy, puts her in a mental institution, and that's the horror of that movie. She's just in this mental institution. There's nothing wrong with her. We've spent an entire, like, however many years making movies about gaslighting women and calling them horror movies. And they're really not horror movies. The horror is that it's a bunch of men gaslighting these poor women. That's a horrific thing. <laughs> it is, but, like, the way that these films are sold, it's like The Haunting. Oh, that's a ghost movie. Yeah. Oh, this is a demon possession movie. It's like, no, they're the same fucking movie. Like, The Haunting and this are the same movie. They're movies about women being abused and gaslit. <laughs> they're not fucking horror movies. Like, they're horrible movies, you know what I mean? Like... <laughs> Pray for Rosemary's Babies, the tagline for this. Uh, it's the marketing. And the whole marketing is like, what if you were giving birth to Satan's baby or whatever? But there's so many more things that are like actually more horrific that happen in this movie. She befriends somebody who dies. It's another thing that I really like about movies like this that don't have to spell everything out for you. We'll back it up a little bit. She's friends with the older people, Roman and Minnie. They took her in when she was on drugs or something, having a bad spout of life or something like that. And she's wearing this necklace. The weirdest thing for me is like, I don't see anybody wearing a necklace that fucking smells, especially when you inherit it from somebody that you know that had that, that died. <laughs> they don't really get into that woman too much, but was she a failed Rosemary? Were they trying to have her give birth? I to absolutely thought that's what she was supposed to be. Like, I thought it was very apparent that they were trying to do that with her and that's why she killed herself. I don't think she killed herself. I don't know what happened, but I don't think it was suicide. I took it as it was a murder. They just happened to be out that night and they didn't care. They weren't surprised by it. And they brought up her mental issues as the reason why she killed herself. Oh, oh, she killed it. Oh, oops. <laughs> oh, well. Rosemary, why don't you come on over for some dinner? The Tannis Root thing is a nice touch, too, because I like the friend who's clearly the gay best friend, which might be the earliest gay best friend that I can think of in an entire movie. Hutch, the one that... The older guy? The older guy that comes over. He's not married. Yeah, that poor guy. I'm like, he shows up and he's like, what the fuck is all of this? Like, any <laughs> of it. And they're just like, oh, uh, well, this is what the neighbors are telling us. And he's like, your neighbors are fucking insane. What are we doing here? What is this? Can we not? And then they kill him. And that's like, oh, okay. When they get the Tannis root, he's like, what? What is that? Yeah, what the fuck is Tannis root? The equivalent of looking it up on the internet. He's like, I'm going to go back home and look up that in an encyclopedia to see what that is. Yeah. It's infamous for witches. Witches are always using tannis fruit and i just think that's a nice little touch of rosemary just like oh some spice or something and he's like dude that is a, a fungus or a mold that is not a root so i don't even know why you're calling it that he gets injured goes into a coma i think they kill him off she gets sent that book where he was like doing his research on the witches 
they kill him so abruptly, and then the husband's like, oh, uh, your friend's dead. Yeah, yeah they didn't like him okay. anyways. Well, yeah. when I was bringing up, like, I'm the gay like... best friend thing, too, like, when they call and they're and the person's like, oh, I'm his roommate or what, like, whatever, however they phrase it. He's not married. He's hanging out with her. <laughs> yeah. John Cassavetti's character is ever concerned that they're having an affair or anything like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's totally yeah. feels comfortable and safe around that guy. Everything in this movie, there's so many layers to things where they don't have to go too much into depth about. And those are some of my favorite things in movies is whenever they can give you enough that it builds all this shit that's going on. You don't have to have everything spelled out for you. You don't need to know what Hutch is doing when he's at home, when he's trying to figure all this stuff out. When you get to the culty, like I'm always being watched aspect, you know, when she goes out and she's uh, using the phone booth. And, yeah, the phone booth seems really good. Yeah, and that guy, at first she thinks he's the uh, her doctor, but then he just, he gives her that creepy look. She just keeps watching her, and then she starts going into like a random conversation about nothing and then she's like yeah 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 so yeah you have to pretend that you're on the phone to you know back in the day i guess and then he like walks away and then she's like yes 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 i need to talk to someone that's bill castle who is a producer of this movie and he's a director too and he made a couple horror movies and he was one of the directors that the studio was pushing for for directing this Robert Evans said it had he directed it, you know, no offense, it would have been a bunch of jump scares and crap that you've seen in any other horror movie. It basically like, I like the guy, but it would have been kind of garbage if he would have been, you know, behind the camera. The very idea that anybody read this and thought of it as a horror movie, like the only horror element is the kid being the devil. Doesn't come until the end of the film. I think the horror is everything that's happening to her throughout the whole movie. Well, then I, I agree with you, but, like, I think that's more, like, psychological. I mean, you could argue that and be right. I don't think it's fair right. to call it a horror movie. Like, I don't think it's fair to throw this into, like, that section of the store. The box art and the way that it's been marketed for years, that this has been marketed as, like, a, a straight-up solid horror film. Once again, this is a movie that deserved, like, some Academy discussion. The cinematography is excellent. The color is excellent. The acting is excellent. This was a film that deserved praise from the Academy. This is a film that's a standalone. Obviously, it didn't get sequels. We've talked about a few little whatevers, but like, it's not a film they tried to franchise. Like, they didn't try to do it like Exorcist and all this kind of shit. It's that same discussion that we keep having about horror. Horror is not shown respect as a genre the way all these drama and like all these other things are. This is a example of a film that goes above and beyond horror. This is a exceptional piece of filmmaking that is a standout in its genre that deserves people discussing it. It should be discussed in film school. It should be discussed in... Well, let me ask you this. Do you think this places. is Mia Farrow's best movie? I can't think of other films that she's in. It has to be. There's nothing else that really comes to mind. It's kind of similar for whenever I watched Hereditary. I thought Toni Collette was fantastic in Hereditary. And I knew that even though she put out one of the best performances I've ever seen her do, there was no chance that she was going to be nominated for an Academy Award because she was in the, the art house horror film. Because that's another movie that it's primarily it's drama. They've got to stop this. I have this discussion with you all the time. And I know you're going to tell me like it's probably a distri distribution thing. Or it's probably a distribution thing. But like genuinely, like I didn't hear the why question. Isn't, yeah, you know. Why isn't there a criterion of this? There why is. Isn't there is there? Yeah, yeah there is. Is a, there? Okay. 
this one deserves like a proper criterion. This deserves discussion. I'm disrespectful and I apologize for being rude about it, genuinely. It usually is like, this is a Paramount Pictures movie. If Paramount holds onto the rights and they don't want to license it out to Criterion, doesn't matter how good of a movie it is, they can't put it out. This idea with this movie here and then The Exorcist, these are movies that stand above their genre. They're not horror movies. Like, yes, they are horror movies, I guess, but like, they are exceptional films that deserve to be looked at as films first and have the discussion about them as a film. And then if you want to go, well, what genre do they go under? Like, that's fine. Do you know what I mean by that statement? There are films that are a discussion and then there are genre films. Yeah, I, I get that. How do you feel about this movie is the very first movie that started to get the big boycotts from like these religious groups and shit? This is what started that trend of we're going to stand outside so nobody can see the there Harry Potter. Nobody can so see. so many reasons to yeah. do with this one, too. Because it's not just the fact that it's a satanic baby. It's also like Mia Farrow and like the content, the dress, the way that they're like presenting the people, the type of people. Like these are not like blue collar Americans on top of that. These are like hip fun young people that are like engaging in lifestyle that these people don't want to see anyway like we could take out all the satanic like elements and people would be mad at this movie for it being about like hipsters in the, the late 60s those elements alone would already piss off the christian religious type people because of that content factor and you're talking about costumes and stuff too she wears a lot of blue and white which are you're talking about colors of like purity and shit like that yeah. that's the colors that mother mary wore you know the mother of christ we also learned that blue is the color of purity in japan pure and pure i think that this is one of the movies that there's just endless discussion really this is already one of our longer episodes if chuck didn't just drop off the face of the earth and lose connection oh, yeah we would probably go on for like another 30 minutes because i felt him really getting like involved in it. like i could see him yeah being genuinely interested in what the hell was being said about this movie that chuck has been was going to have things to say about the polanski discussion too like more so because we've been waiting to have the roman polanski discussion since i started this show i can't think of how many episodes we could go back and go into and find us start to talk about Roman Polanski at some point and then be like, well, we're going to come back to that. He's not here, so I can't speak for him. But my thoughts on it are he needs to pay for his crimes. So at the very least, he needs to be tried, have some sort of consequences. The 40 days or whatever he had in jail was nothing. It was less than half of his sentence. That's what people got angry about. It was just a slap on the wrist for this guy. It's less than half of his sentence, and his sentence was a bullshit sentence to begin with. He admitted to it. It seemed like he was going to be taking responsibility until he realized he wasn't going to get maybe as good of a deal as he thought, and he fled. I don't stand by his actions, and I don't care if he stops making movies. We have the movies that he made. Rosemary's Baby, Chinatown, Repulsion, some of the best movies like before any of this shit has happened. Yeah, maybe we lose The Pianist or something like that. I like that movie. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I, I think it's a great movie. I'll go that far. 
but yeah, the, these people don't get a and I'm not, pass I'm to not do whatever like they want. Going like, please give us the pianist and then get rid of him either. I'm like, I guess we lose the pianist, but like, it is a really good fucking movie. That sucks. It's like he's a fucking good filmmaker. You know, this is like the discussion that I have with you almost every day, and it's really frustrating. I'm over here, like transgender. Every day, I'm like, I can't deal with this celebrity anymore, and you're like, why not? And I'm like, because they hate me. It's like, what do you do with that? What do you do with every day? Right, you cut off the things that you already have attachments to. I grew up with Marilyn Manson. Marilyn Manson is incredibly prolific and important to me. Like, as a musician, he was an incredibly influential part of my life. And he's a rapist, and he's, you know, has all these sexual assault allegations coming out. And it's like, I guess I gotta cut that off, but it's also like, it's an important part of, like, my life. Okay, I can cut that one off. But then it's like every single day, it's like I gotta cut off this guy and cut off this guy and cut off this guy and cut off this guy. And it's like, what do I do when every single day I have to cut off a new celebrity? I have to cut off a new whatever. And it's like you you hit a point and then it's like, well, you have that discussion of it. it's like, well, then, you know, separate the artist from the art sometimes, but then sometimes not because like sometimes the crimes are just so fucking severe or sometimes they're so fucking out there or what do you do with kanye like kanye is one of the most brilliant musicians i've ever listened to musically he's an absolute talent but also like he's losing his fucking mind left right and center and it's like no one's helping do i do i continue supporting the music and giving him money knowing that that money is gonna go towards him losing his mind and nobody helping him like you just said like nobody's helping him but also like if you keep giving him money it's going to keep going to these behaviors there's so many discussions on so many different subjects mental illness straight up rapist russell brand over here everybody's like well he shouldn't have had his youtube channel demonetized for you know raping people it's like and russell brand should what get a fucking pass because he's a fucking funny guy and said the jeffrey like you gotta be fucking kidding me what do we do with great art that's made by fucking garbage? This is how I feel about it. If it bothers you, cut it off. If Roman Polanski made another movie, I'm not saying that I couldn't be excited about him making another movie. I'm saying I'm okay that if I don't know of what else is continued. The director always gets tied to the movie or what the project as like the auteur. Like they're the ones that are piecing everything together and I think to an extent that's true but this is just as much the most important Mia Farrow movie this is one of Robert Evans biggest movies the writer Ira Levin like when he died I don't know if he's dead or not if he's not dead when he dies they're gonna be like Rosemary's Baby it's gonna be all over his obituary and everything cut out what isn't gonna make you happy you can take other people's feelings into consideration and you you definitely should you don't want to contribute to the harm so like when you're saying do i want to buy another kanye album and fund that and support that i i have a hard time breaking away from the art of things but even like i listen to him on spotify he's being paid right yes Every time i listen to him like so it's just like that's the thing it's like well, then it's like the discussion with Michael Jackson. It's like, well, Michael Jackson's dead, so it's okay to listen to his music, but it's not okay to listen to his music while he's alive. I'm like, 
this is too complicated, and I'm not saying, like, I, I disagree with any of those things. He's my favorite musician. I can't, I have a really hard time, like, giving that up, and I don't give it up. I'm like, I fucking love Michael Jackson. He's one of my fucking favorite musicians. What he did was horrible. There's a really hard discussion with so much of a lot of that. Like, he was a pedophile, but also he was abused as a child and didn't have a childhood and was a perpetual child and so there's like a whole weird mental illness discussion there i'm not defending his behavior in any way i'm just like what do we do with that what do we do with these people that we don't let grow up properly and then have all the money in the world and all the celebrity in the world and all this stuff and then they do this stuff and then they go shame on you you can't listen to their stuff anymore it's like you fucking did this to them at the same time like i just feel like don't listen to this level you just be, don't be shamed by everybody yeah i, don't know. I like i mean you could I, be shamed for a lot less you could be shamed for just liking something that you like uh, I, I never really cared about the omen. Somebody might hold that against you. What's wrong with you? And I'm in the mindset of who gives a fuck. If everyone says that it's the best movie and you think it's the worst or vice versa, who gives a fuck? Who cares? Film is art, artist, subjective. Whatever your favorite film is is your favorite film and nobody gets to tell you otherwise. And even though I sit here all day talking about what I like and what I don't like, and I'm sitting here giving my opinion all day on this show. What I feel is completely irrelevant, and what you like and what you don't like is really what matters to you, and only what matters in the grand scheme of things, because film is art, and art is subjective. And that's all that matters. I've been wanting to talk about this movie for a while. It's like trying to find the right place to like actually end up talking about these things. Like your very first reaction was like pushback. Uh, I don't wanna. I don't wanna watch this movie. It's boring. I, it's just not my thing. First of all, I never pick anything because I think it's gonna torture somebody. I don't pick something that I think everybody's gonna like either. It's not important to me if people like it or not. What's important to me in the context of this show, you have something to say. Like it brings something out of you and. Even if you watch that movie and you're just steaming and you're like, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. I want to hear that. I don't want to know what your feelings are on it. Like, I try to go as deep as I can. Not because I'm trying to be obscure and weird, but really just because I want to introduce you guys to stuff just as much as I want the audience. Because I'm like, you guys, you guys, I'm not saying you're, you're landlocked in a particular place, but you're not... You're not where I am. You know what I mean? Like We're all in different places. We're all finding different things. And it's fun to introduce people to some gem that you found. That happens to me a lot. Like, I've just recently saw a movie that I'm like, it's not a good movie. But I think everybody will find this movie hilarious. And, I, and there's a lot to talk about. I'm not going to say what it is now. I don't even know if I will ever discuss it. That's kind of like what my mindset was whenever I decided to like, let's do a podcast because I never wanted this to be heavily broken down. It's really hard to break down some of the visual shit that this movie is pulling off. You know, we talk about the cinematography a little bit, the long takes, the camera that doesn't go all the way around the corners. And you always hear that infamous thing about how the audience like tilted their head to try to you know, see around the corner, you know, to see the person on the phone that was in the bedroom that 
Polanski blocked so that their the doorway was covering their face just slightly. There is stuff like that that you could bring up. I kind of wish that the people that listen to this are maybe somebody that's more casual of a viewer and I just like to hear what people's genuine feelings are for something in the moment and you know I've picked movies I like and you know rewatch them and I go maybe I don't like that movie anymore you know I have a lot of problems with it Sallow is a prime example of something I'm like that was the worst movie I ever saw I fucking hated it second time I watched it I'm like that might be a brilliant movie and uh, it's the best thing that I ever saw <laughs> Rosemary's Baby, I would say overall, is kind of an acquired taste. I feel that people that love horror movies, especially modern horror movies, might be turned off by this movie. They might be like, what the fuck is this? I, I'm not interested in this at all. You brought it up earlier. I think we were recording by then. The people that watch the Lifetime channel and love those this. movies mm -hmm, for sure. probably are gonna really be a fan of rosemary's baby if you're into shit like flowers in the attic this is up your alley rosemary's baby is gonna be for you yeah exactly and let me tell you i fucking love me some flowers in the attic so i think that's why this was like working for me this time it's kind of feels taboo to talk about some of these movies because of the people involved but i actually think this was a really nice well-balanced discussion about where we went into the things that have happened behind the scenes a little bit. I think that's when you have those discussions is when they are taboo. <laughs> that's just me, though. We're having this discussion in 2023, like way, yeah. way after the fact. It's not an anniversary of Rose. It's, it has to be something, right? It's the um, He's still a creepy pedo who's not had justice done. Like There was a video clip I saw of him. Can't remember who he was being interviewed by, but he was saying something along the lines of like, he thinks that men have always been attracted to young girls. I think he basically said it was a matter of time before something like that happened. Not if it would have happened, when it was going to happen. Men are disgusting and eventually we're all just going to rape little girls. You just got to accept it. <laughs> That's kind of what he was saying. And I mean, look out, Justin, it's going to happen eventually. You can't avoid it. I mean, it might end up being buried, but I feel like if he was still with Sharon Tate, he would have continued that relationship and, you know, nothing else would happen. But oh, she was pregnant. I'm not in defense of the guy. I know you're not. I'm just like... Although everything that you get is like, it's Roman Polanski's this and Roman Polanski's that. and Yeah, they got to stop selling it like it's like that's a selling point. But then also, too, if you see something like Rosemary's Baby and you want to watch the bonus features, you're going to have to listen about Roman Polanski. Uh, once again, 68 is a little different. Like, it was pre his whole thing, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, okay. That At first, I thought you were saying something else. Do you accept, like, his work before his behavior as... I accept his work after his behavior but I'm not involved in hiring the guy or giving the guy money to make his movies. I, I feel like I don't care to cut him off. It doesn't matter. I think, I think you let a lot more go than I do, though. Possibly, because this is how I feel. You brought it up earlier where you were talking about how, like, every single day it's something else or somebody else. And I usually am very, like, up-to-date on the news. Well, I watched some today, but like there were a couple days in a row where I didn't even bother watching it. 
and I just felt so much better. You know what I mean? Just yeah. letting letting go of things feels a lot better. No, I don't think that people are perfect, but I don't think you're entirely judged by listening to a song or something or watch watching a movie. I recommend Hereditary. I recommend Mother and obviously Rosemary's Baby, but if you're looking for something that's kind of like Rosemary's Baby or thematically like Rosemary's Baby, those are pretty good ones. I also think that this movie is very similar to Gone Girl that we discussed in the whole gaslighting aspect of it. I'm going to recommend the original Haunting. I'm going to recommend the remake. No, it's... Oh, God, please, no. No, if you're looking for gaslighting, the original, the, the remake has no gaslighting. And read Shirley just... Jackson's book. Yeah, Shirley Jackson's book is the, yeah, the way to She's just it. <laughs> yeah. That was a good first episode. I doubt <laughs> that Chuck's episode, uh, we're talking about the whaling next week. Or are we talking about your, we're talking about yours. I can't remember. Mine was uh, 2012, I believe. So oh, maybe exactly you're next. I think it's 2016. Oh, is that new? He goes pretty new. He goes fucking old too. He did the setup. He's just he's all over. You can't put a label on him. You can't. You can't he gets into things where he like he wants to talk about the classics, and then he moves into the period where he wants to talk about more obscure things. Chuck's like a kid who would have gone to film school and like done the film school thing but he didn't go to film school so he like kind of has like sort of film school-ish picks but then he doesn't he's unrestrained from the film school curriculums so he like goes out and has like more like freeform thoughts on he's more film school than some of the people i went to film school with yeah, for sure. What surprised me about him was when I worked at Hollywood Video with him, the things that he was picking and watching, I'm like, the normal person would avoid all these things. I guess when he was young, there was like a list of movies from a magazine that like the 100 movies you should see before you die. So like that shit was full of, you know, Seven Samurai and Eight and a Half and all that shit. So he started seeking out those movies. And when you're watching those movies and everybody else is watching like Mrs. Doubtfire and shit... You know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but you're in a whole different type of history. You're you're seeing a whole different type of filmmaking that right. other people aren't seeing. He's over here taking an AFI, and we're over here watching like garbage. Well, like and well, like what you were talking about, you bring up that I'm film school, and I think I'm the version of film school that, well, probably not enough. I'm not analyzing stuff enough. I'm not breaking things down enough. The history teacher, like cinema history. That person would be so happy with the shit that I was watching. But, like, the actual people that go to that school and they have their favorite stuff, they don't, they fucking hate that. Like, they're like, well, we're going to watch The Tin Drum. Everyone lost their shit. They said it was the worst movie ever. And then I watched this years later after film school when I have time to actually watch these things. I'm like, that was a fucking good movie. What are you talking about? Why was everyone so mad about that movie? Maybe even if it's the lowest form of studying, just watching it and not asking anyone to have an opinion on it. I think that you go back and you see what influenced things and it becomes more interesting. I, I don't think older films are as bland as people think. The ideas that people have about oh, older... I old films. I think they're thinking of like the, the time where everything was like blacklisted and... God, I can't think of anything more bland than the fucking era we live in now. 
God, the movies that are coming out now are fucking trash. Like, I, like A24 is about the only place right now that's putting shit out this evening. Uh, yeah, I saw a great A24 movie. Stop Making Sense. Uh, yeah, that was a great... Yeah. Uh, what's that one that just came out with the... Uh, I think it came out and went with the aliens. My favorite one so far is Bo is Afraid. That's that's my favorite movie so far, and it's out there. Do you know what I'm talking about? It had, like, the worst marketing campaign ever. I literally... I think I told you guys I wanted to see it. And it was about aliens that came and took over our planet. Oh, shit. Like um, it was probably and such like, a limited release. It's uh, I know what you're talking about. A like, woman married one of these blocks. They don't talk or anything. It's like a like, fleshy-looking block. Yeah. And, like, they, they seem to just, like, exist in our world. And they took over our planet. We don't do anything anymore because they did everything for us. There's a really, really, really good article that everyone should read that GQ just put out. It's an interview with Martin Scorsese. A bit of it's about mortality and like how he stepped away from like the studio because he didn't want to be making content. He wanted to be making things that were personal to him. And he's like, now if any movie is made and it's a personal movie, it's considered an indie. And, you know, that doesn't get the marketing. And all these big movies now that they pour all this money into, it's just to make money. I don't even think there's anything wrong with the superhero genre, but it's not the genre that's the problem. It's the studios. Like, The Flash is a prime example of a movie that, what the fuck, they were just trying to make a buck. That was a good discussion. Everybody, stay tuned. We got two more movies. Oh, God. I never can remember the name of my movie. All I know is that it's Mexican. It's like the devil won't stop or something. I can't remember. Yeah. Then we're doing The Wailing, which is a Korean film that I keep seeing pop up, which I probably would have watched over the course of the last couple months, but knowing that we were going to cover it, (laughs) I held off on it. And then season three, we start with uh, Exorcist on Halloween Day. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye, Chuck. Bye. Bye. (laughs) He shall overthrow the mighty and lay waste their temples. He shall redeem the despised and wreak vengeance in the name of the burned and the tortured. Hail Adrian! Hail Satan! Hail Satan! He chose you out of all the world, out of all the women, the whole world. He chose you. He arranged things because he wanted you to be the mother of his only living son. His power is stronger than stronger. His might shall last longer than longer. Hail Satan! Oh my god, what a great fucking episode. I'm so glad. I am so fucking glad that I gotta be a part of it. Oh my god. It actually ran long. So expect an outtakes episode in the near future. Oh.
We're Cinema Demore. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with news and information on upcoming episodes. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Pandora, Alexa, or iHeartRadio. It would be greatly appreciated if you subscribe to our podcast on your platform of choice. We also appreciate feedback, so rate us, review us, and let us know what you think. And above all else, thank you for listening.